This is the 3D Pod, your number one source for 3D printing news, analysis, and insight from 3dprint.com. Now, here are your hosts, Joris Peels and Maxwell Bogue. Hi, everyone. My name is Joris Peels, and I'm here, as always, in the 3D Pod with Maxwell Vogue. Hey, everyone. And how are you doing today, Max? I'm good. How are you doing, Joris? Yeah. Are you enjoying Forum Next a little bit? A little. I mean, I would enjoy it a lot more if it was an in-person event that we could all go to. But for what it is, it's it's a great uh, a great event given the circumstances. So yeah, definitely. Lots to learn. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting to learn a lot of stuff and meet some new people. And uh, but yeah, nothing beats the real thing, of course. All right. So today we're joined by Dr. Jeff Graves. Uh, Jeff is CEO of 3D Systems. Uh, and before that, he spent uh, 17 years in different CTO or, or CEO roles in a, a couple of different companies. He's also on the board of directors of Faro. It's a, a 3D scanning, one of the leading companies in 3D scanning and 3D measurement. Um, and uh, he's also on the, uh, the board of Hexa, which is a leading composites company as well. We really thought it'd be very exciting to, to, to see uh, what Jeff had to say. And uh, so essentially what he did is, there was a bit of a strategic kind of tightening, I think, a focus, uh, which under Jeff became a kind of a encapsulated in one slogan, which is a we are the leaders in enabling additive manufacturing solutions applications in growing markets that ha- demand high reliability products, which is a very, very focused thing. We know 3D systems in three different periods, if you will, or, you know, one period or four different periods where one where it was building itself up in the SLA technology, another very adventurous period where it was in a high growth, a high acquisition phase, kind of a consolidation, rationalization period under VJ. And now, yeah, it's up to Jeff to determine the, the, the future of 3D systems. Um, there have been some divestments already. There, there's, there's a renewed focus. So, yeah, it's a very exciting time to talk to him. So welcome to the 3D pod, Jeff. Yours, thank you very much. It's great to be here today. Awesome. It's always so, great yeah. to have a fellow Boilermaker on. <laughs> ah, there you go. There you go. How can it go wrong? Right? No. Again? No. Again? We're <laughs> everywhere, Joris. How do I tell this? Like, <laughs> Purdue has like taken over half of the 3D print industry. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> no, seriously, this is like the third or fourth time or something. It's insane. Wow. Okay. <laughs> uh, anyway. <laughs> so, so, Jeff, what's it like to be the CEO of 3D Systems at the moment? Well, yours, it's been a, it's been a great experience so far. I, you know, hit, hit the ground running. I've been ar- around the industry for some time on, on the, on the periphery. I am, for example, my last company, we sold, it was MTS systems. We sold a lot of testing equipment into the, to the 3d uh, printing industry, particularly as the metals part of the industry expanded. And I growing up a material scientist, I've, I've dealt with powdered materials for a long time, both, composites and, and monolithic materials, metals, uh, things like titanium and high temperature super alloys. So I've been around the industry for some time. It's, it's tremendously exciting to be a part of it now. And particularly with a company as, as, uh, as historic as 3D Systems, you know, as you said, the, the company has been a leader in the industry for a long time, um, having been founded by Chuck Hall and, and some of the founding technology invented by Chuck on SLA. Um, so it's an honor to work with him today. He's, he's still very active as our CTO. And uh, I, I hit the ground. Uh, my charter from the board was to uh, establish a focus for the company and one that we thought could drive growth and profitability for the future and, and really uh, intensely focus in that area. And basically that means the flip side of that is, is stop doing a number of other things 
so that we free up uh, time and, and resources to to live into that that possibility. So I'm excited to be here. We've got a, a great leadership team in place that that understand importantly that understand the heritage of the company, the the core culture, if you will, which is really a very application specific. Uh, driven company. If you go back to the founding of it, where when, when Chuck Hall started the business, it was with specific applications in mind, and he used those to really determine what hardware, software, and materials to develop. And that's what we're returning to right now. So you'll see us investing continuously in, in, in technologies in those three areas, both hardware. We, I'm proud of the range of platforms we have. We'll continue to extend those. Uh, the materials that go through them. We've got a good portfolio today and we'll expand that and some leading edge software to, to drive the machines and to fit into the ecosystem. So I love that. It's important that we have all three elements and and we bring those to market every day through a sharp application focus. So spent the first month kind of coming up with that purpose statement and talking to folks around here and then very quickly got the, the company reorganized around healthcare and industrial market verticals. Uh, with support from those three technologies coming together into our applications group. Um, by does that mean, uh, yeah, go uh, ahead, Doris. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, so <laughs> does that mean, does that mean the service? Cause you have been big in services as well Yeah. as in making parts. Is that also, is that a part of that offering now or has that been kind of well, decentralized a bit or, you know, yours, it's uh, it, it has been a part of the company, you know, for, for several years now, my personal opinion on that is, is when it comes to, uh, the business of turning parts out very quickly um, in, a, in, a, in a fairly generic uh, manner, which, which those companies tend to do to be very successful, uh, you have to be much more agnostic than we want to be with regard to how you make the part. So we, we want to appeal to, to companies that are embracing additive manufacturing because they bring special value. Uh, customers that go to those on-demand part-making companies and businesses what they care about is getting a, a good quality part overnight or very quickly. And I, over time, I believe that's really out, outside of our core focus. I, I think it's a great business and you know, there are, there, you can be very successful if you focus on that, but to do it, to do it the right way, you have to embrace both subtractive and additive technologies every day and for, and be quite honestly, be agnostic about how you do it as long as you turn out a good part. And that's really not us. That's really not our culture and where we're headed. So it's it's a great part of the business today. We we enjoy owning it. Um, I don't know that we'll consider it. We'll continue to see it be a core business going forward. So that might be like you might sell it or spin it out or something like that. Or yeah, it, those are those are options. Um, the we are we do have within the company itself. An advanced, an advanced manufacturing group that, that lives to, to scale additive manufacturing. And that's quite successful. We, we start with an application, we, we turn it into a product and define a workflow, and then it very smoothly moves into our advanced manufacturing group to scale it to some extent. Those are core to the company. The, the idea that uh, the customers can come in and just want a part made you know, in, a, in overnight or in a very short time from an electronic model, um, and regardless of how you make it, that's where we really kind of distinguish and say that may not be core forever. Okay. That's a very interesting approach. I see there's a lot of materials companies that are moving into, for example, making more parts. So they seem to be looking at this as a kind of value chain margin kind of a thing and saying, you know what, we make materials, let's make parts. And you're maybe, you're, you're, you're looking at it more from a very core kind of definition of what you, your identity is. 
Yeah, yours and the and those those companies are are great companies. These material companies that move in this direction are terrific. The the problem that we have, and it's the same if you approach it strictly from a hardware standpoint, is to make additive work the proper way and to be effective for your customer. You have to have core competencies in hardware, software, and materials. And if you come from any single part of that spectrum, it's a real challenge uh, because customers are looking for an integrated solution most of the time. And you have some customers that have internal expertise that can bring it together themselves. But for a company like ours, I, I think to be successful, we need all three legs of the stool in technology. Okay. And does that mean that you see the scope, you know, is it, is it your idea to become like kind of like a little bit more focused three systems or would you like to invest more in those areas where you do see the focus of the company? Uh, oh yeah, yours. I think there's tremendous investment opportunity. I, you look at the range of, of hardware advancements that are going on in both plastics and metals today and, and now composites. It's, it's tremendous. So we have to consider or continue to invest heavily in, in hardware and software, very valuable in terms of, making good parts, making them efficiently. And then materials is really where, what brings it home for a customer is the materials themselves that go through the printer. So you really need all three. And I, I think we'll, we'll have a very sharp focus in those three areas and specifically the application expertise to bring those areas together. The strong application focus, I like that because that's, that's you know, one of the things, and I like the, the thing you said about the hot, the advanced manufacturing group, because that's, you know, the problem really is somebody thinks this is interesting, uh, this is an interesting technology for them. They don't know how to proceed. They don't know how to cost it. They don't know how to invest in it. And it's going to take them a lot of time to work those right. metal machines, for example. Right. So that's, I see as an accelerator and applications are, are, are really quite, uh, you know, the, the, it seems like, but it seems like a lot of people are focusing on applications. Are you worried that maybe there's going to be too many people calling the same five guys at, at Boeing, uh, you know, that kind of thing? Oh, you know, you, you have to have the right toolkit to call on them for credibility. I mean, you pretty, I think, you know, I spent time on that side of the, of the table before and you can distinguish very quickly people that come in with true expertise in how to bring those three elements together versus those that don't. Uh, you know, we're, we're, not, we're not going to market as a, a printer seller or a, a, a software seller any longer. That's, that's really basically how we're getting some of our restructuring done. We're going to market as a solution provider and we've got credibility because we, we own, we have all three elements of the technology under one roof. And everything else yours, we're, we're disinvesting in, divesting, spinning off, uh, and it's a it's a, a really sprint to get to that kind of a shape of the company. And you expect like because the margin situation seems to have been for the company strangely enough through all the tumultuous stuff going on seems to be <laughs> a fairly stable I think around forty three percent or something like that EBITDA uh, margin. Do you do you do you expect to be able to maintain these margins through these divestitures? Well, that's a it's that's an interesting point because some of the some of the things that we're divesting and you you look at the recent divestor we announced. Uh, Symmetron and Gibbscam, both great businesses, but they were solely focused on subtractive technology. That's what they did for a living. And we, you know, with our focus, we weren't going to be investing in those businesses. They were declining. In fact, under our ownership, they were declining in top line, but they still had very good gross margins. Mm -hmm. So the right thing to do when you make that decision is to spin it off and, and sell it to somebody that will invest in it. Uh, because it does have great growth and gross margin potential under the right ownership. So there will be undoubtedly some choppiness up and down as we divest certain pieces of the business because some of them carry a good gross margin. Um, but so it's not a lot like your typical divestitures. A lot of companies go through where they're, they're jettisoning bad businesses. We're not doing that. We're jettisoning non-core businesses. Uh, 
and some of those do carry a, 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 a medium to high gross margin. So there may be a little choppiness in the short term, but if you look at our core business of additive manufacturing, that, that uh, carries those kind of gross margins that you cited today, low 40% range. And I, as I look at the markets that are exciting around healthcare and some specific markets in the industrial space, those carry gross margins even higher. So I think over time, while there may be a choppy period over the next 12 to 18 months, over time, you'll see those gross margins moving from the low 40s today up toward 50%. And my, my goal is to see them exceed 50% over time. And then, yeah, if you're looking at that kind of thing, then it's either you either are doing services, perhaps software, or it's medical device and these kinds of things. So that means you are planning to remain very active in those types of businesses or... Oh yeah, absolutely. The, if you, if you look at it, there's a, there is a high software content to what we do. Uh, but it, again, it needs to be brought together with a printer and materials in order to be successful, but nicely, it, it, there is a good software content, which carries a, a, a nice gross margin and it's a recurring revenue stream. As you up, update software and you enhance its capability for efficiencies, you, you sell upgrades in the aftermarket, just like you sell materials to go through the printers in the aftermarket, those, those tend to be higher gross margin uh, elements as well. So if you're in the right market to start with and you're selling those kind of re repeated revenue constituents in the aftermarket, you have a very good business model. And is that, does that also mean you're going to be focusing more like a kind of software as a service type of thing or kind of a offering more, uh, you know, offering more kind of an integrated solution? Hey, you can have our scanning software and our file repair and our, you know, bill processor or whatever. That, that yeah, kind of how we, yes, there's a, there's a good bundling opportunity. There's software as a service opportunity, certainly. We have to be very clear, though, about what the boundaries of our software are, if you will, and, and where we need to interface with larger ecosystems, because it's, you know, I, I, for a company our size, we're not going to invent the entire manufacturing ecosystem. We have to draw nice boundaries around what we do well, distinctively well, and then have partnerships with, you know, the, the larger companies that do overall manufacturing uh, software environments. Uh, we'll interface very well with them, but we'll have our niche around the additive manufacturing component that, you know, starts with the, with the digital design and ends with the component being made and inspected. So those kind of perimeters is where we'll draw the line and be, we'll be very good in between. I'm curious in this current, you know, COVID world, uh, this, it's quite a lot of pivoting that you're doing. Um, are you finding it, you know, particularly challenging or are you guys uh, coping reasonably well yeah. given the circumstances? Well, yeah, there's a lot of dimensions to that question. I mean, I think right. our, our, our employees are bearing up very well. I, you know, I'm proud of the, the health and safety measures we've taken, honestly. I, a lot of people say that, but I really am. We've had very few people get sick um, and we've kept our business going and fulfilled our obligations to customers. And I take my hat off to employees. They've done a great job. In terms of our customers, um, they, you know, the world's remarkably adaptable. I'm, I'm amazed at how well during this resurgence of COVID, how well our customers are doing to, and if you, if you compare it to the first time we had a spike, the world pretty much shut down and logistics were really crimped. Um, I hope it doesn't come to that again, but certainly our customers are much more adaptable. Um, so they've done a good job in keeping, you know, their factories running, buying materials. And, and what we want to see now is them, them feeling comfortable enough to invest new capital in expanding their additive manufacturing capability. Um, I do think COVID, uh, if there's a silver lining to this horrible situation, has caused our customers to rethink their supply chains. Yeah. And, and that, that I think you'll see as a tailwind to this industry for some time is, 
and we just had a, an award, for example, from the VA we announced this past week. Uh, they're actually paying us to come in and put in turnkey production in the hospital, believe it or not, for, uh, for, for part making. So they're going to make PPE, meaning nasal swabs and other PPE equipment, in the hospital uh, for, emer- for basically for emergency use. So we have a contract now with the VA, and we're going we're gonna to put in three production facilities, three different hospitals on either coast of the United States. Um, and, and give them production capability. We'll go in, set up, you know, our printers. Uh, we'll establish workflows, get FDA approval. We'll train their staff, and then we'll turn the keys over to them. So, I think that'll be a growing business for us. Uh, again, because we bring the application expertise and all elements of the solution to bear on the problem, and our customer base, I think, is going to be looking for that more and more. How, how long does an installation like that take? Or do you guys anticipate yeah. it taking? Well, it's interesting. It's not, well, the, 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 the equipment itself is quite easy to put in. Well, yeah, but the but, training. But the training and things, yeah, it'll probably take, a, you know, 12 months, 18 months. You have to get folks trained and we'll staff it for a while, but you have mm. to get, get their folks trained. But the FDA approvals, making sure the facility is, is certified, you know, as it needs to be in the hospital, that all takes some time. So it could be a 12 to 18 month activity, but I think you'll, it, it, we're establishing the model now and we'll repeat that over and over again. And I, I think not only in healthcare, uh, where certainly the hospital systems are, are a poster child for needing this kind of emergency supply, but I think you'll see it in the industrial space as well. well I think it's a fascinating and a gratifying uh, expansion into that area because it truly is the original dream of 3D printing to be able to have instantaneous production like that um, in the real world scenario. So yeah, it's, it's very. It's great business. It's, it's a, it, it, it demonstrates the potential of additive. And I'll tell you that the icing on the cake is how well it, it makes you feel at night when you go home, that you've actually enabled a hospital to meet its mission better of, in this case, serving veterans. And uh, it's, it's just a tremendous package of business. I, I'm very grateful for that. So you anticipate that all to expand as well into other hospitals beyond the VA system? Yeah, I think it'll turn into a real initiative for us. I, I you know, actually, I'm my, my daughter's an ER physician in Philadelphia, and I see the same, you know, the same basic needs is you know, hospitals ran out when, you know, in these pandemic times, they ran out of supplies and or were dangerously close to, to you know, I, I during the, the first peak, I, I was, I, I heard horror stories about, the improvisation or the reuse of PPE and stuff. It's, yeah. it's not a situation you want to have. And, and in, in, in developed countries, particularly where, where there's no need to be without this. So I see them making investments to make sure this doesn't happen in the future. I think it's interesting that, that, that if you were to do this, like setting up production facilities uh, for, for people uh, beyond hospitals and just the industry as well, it actually is something that we keep coming back to here in the 3D quality world, the fact that our industry kind of lacks systems integrators, that, yeah. that we don't have this class of company that can help you get to production. Well, yours, that's exactly the type of thing we want to be providing. So we're not, you know, we're, we're a relatively small company. I, you know, I'm, I'm proud of our scale and size, but we're, you've got, you know, we're up against a few very large competitors that will, that will obviously compete on the mass production, you know, printer basis, things like that. The, the value we can bring to the market, I think, uniquely is this, this combination of expertise between materials, software, and hardware, where we are application-focused and we can enable other people really effectively to adopt additive manufacturing. So rather, you know, we, can, we will have 
a manufacturing capability to make limited quantities of parts, we'll definitely do that. It's, it, we have it today in healthcare. We're going to expand that and make sure we do it. But, but moreover, our mission is to enable others to adopt additive manufacturing on a larger scale. And then hopefully we're, you know, they prefer our hardware, software, and materials as we do that. And that's how we create a business out of it. But that's our unique value proposition. And I believe yours that we can be the best in the world at it. I, I really believe if we if we stop the distractions, we focus on that mission, we can be the best in the world at doing that. So, so you you in your, your kind of like your slogan thing, you have like uh, uh, growth mark, growing markets, always a good idea, right? And high reliability products. So, so you know, medical is the obvious one. What else do you mean by high reliability products? Uh, great question. So we're in, in industrial, we're still working through that. Clearly aerospace and defense, you know, our, yeah. our, our poster children, if you will, markets for adopting additive. But, um, you know, some other markets are emerging that are very interesting. You know, you look at electric, electric vehicles where the battery is, or the, the range of the vehicle is largely determined by the battery, and batteries aren't improving very much. So they're going through a lightweighting exercise and really adopting some, some more aggressive very interesting uh, designs for components that you can make much better with additive than you can with subtractive technology. So ways to protect the battery, ways to strengthen the car in certain areas that are lightweight, more aerospace materials being used very effectively in electric vehicles. So I'm excited about that market. I'm excited about, you know, some areas you don't really think of very much like data centers. If you look at creating exotic componentry that will, will enable heat extraction from electronics more effectively. So electronics can run a lot better, you know, the, the, uh, can run a lot better if you keep them cool, right? Heat is the destroyer of electronics and it's the rate limiting factor in, in getting speed out of a computer or storage capacity out of a data center. So by making a good heat exchanger, which you can make very effectively with additive manufacturing, and then it leads you into not only exotic geometries, but dual, dual alloy materials, things like this that additive can, can definitely grow into very nicely. I'm really excited about those types of applications, very high value applications to, to infrastructure that's really needed around the world. So there's some industrial stuff, there's medical is there. And are, are you open to kind of like uh, doing consulting? Are you like before it seemed like you guys were moving a little bit into the consulting space. Is yeah. that also how you'd see this or? Well, you know, consulting is certainly part of our sales process. We know whether we will turn consulting into a business or not. I don't know. I think our guys are going to be in great demand right now for, for, for focusing on applications and helping customers adopt them by nature that, that those type of people tend to be good consultants too for others. So whether we turn it into a business or not, it would be a secondary focus for us, but certainly consistent with our core, but it would be a secondary focus. I could be surprised yours, maybe it'll turn into a great business, but I see us really focusing right now on, on enabling applications for customers that, that don't have the internal ex expertise to do it. Okay. And also like one application that we're very interested in is bioprinting. And yeah. <laughs> you seem to, you know, SLA lends itself well to certain printing applications and scaffolds or uh, direct. And, yeah. and with Coal Plant and other partners, you have shown some interest as a company in bioprinting. Is that something you're, you're looking at or focusing on? You don't know yet? or No, yours. I, I would tell you, I, I, mean, I mean, by the word no, I mean, it is not a secondary consideration. Bioprinting is really exciting. We have a lot of activity going on in that. And, and, and we're really, really plowing some new territory there that we'll be talking about more in the future. So it's very exciting. It's, it's amazing progress. 
in the, as you know, printing scaffolds and, and the, the fine scale precision that you need to do that with the right materials is a great extension of, of the basic SLA type technology. And it's going very well. I'm, I'm really pleased with the progress. We'll be talking more about that in the future. And I would not be surprised at all to see it be a, a significant part of this company at some point in the, in the future as we go forward. Uh, that's very exciting. The, yeah, the, the growth potential is, of course, uh, huge. I almost yeah. use the word ginormous. <laughs> <laughs> oh, absolutely. Uh, and, the, you, know, the, 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 you know, impact on human beings, the, the value you bring to the people in need of, of, of organs or, or other, you know, Im- embedded uh, uh, features in your body to help it heal and, and recover. Amazing technology, yours. I, I appreciate you asking about that, and I'll be excited to talk more about it in 2021. Okay. Yeah, good, good. And and so if we look at this market, I mean, I think before like 3D systems had uh, machines for essentially every level through like really big industrial machines for several hundred thousand dollars to desktop machines. Now well, with desktop, you don't do anymore and you seem to be more focused on, you know, from around $35,000 like uh, HD, was it 3,500s they're called or something. Yes, right. um, for those types of machines up until like the DMP and larger type uh, metal printers or really large metal printers. Is that kind of your focus or do you want to go more lower in the market, higher in the market? Is that, or are you thinking well, about those it, kinds of things? It's certainly kind of our sweet spot. I mean, we, we will probably extend the bottom end of that, of that cost range, uh, that price range. Uh, as we go forward, we'll, we'll make machines more efficiently. We'll be able to design for a cost more effectively. So, but in general terms, yours, yes, the direction you described is us. We want to go into, you know, to real, you know, significant industrial applications and with, with fairly exotic technology. So those tend to be more expensive technologies. So we will focus more on the, you know, the heavier duty industrial type applications, although in healthcare and dentistry, some of those units are physically smaller and lower in price. Uh, very precise machines, obviously, but a bit lower in price. So we will do some of that as well. But I, I don't see our major emphasis being on going to, to small desktop type machinery or those kind of price points. Okay. You just think it's just not profitable or just not a region that you think is? Well, it can, you know, again, I, I'm a big believer in focus. And I, I think if you're a company focused on that end of the market and, and things you you know there are, <laughs> you better get the economics right in order to make money. Right. <laughs> I think you know you you've got to worry every day about the cost of that product and 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 all of that and and obviously making them feature rich. But so there will be companies I think that are very good at that. I don't think it'll be our primary focus, so I don't think we'll head in that direction. Um, I'm a huge believer that in a, in a competitive world you have to be very focused, and I I think we can make a real difference in industrial scale applications. Uh, both on healthcare and the, and the industrial market side. But then there's always this classic kind of the, the innovator's dilemma thing where, you know, a good enough small desktop printer, and I, I've been talking about this clusterization a long time of the, the print farms. So, yeah. you know, you have 50 smaller, really cheap printers that could then outperform maybe one more expensive unit at a lower cost. Is that something that worries you or do you think that that's uh, not going to happen or? Well, you always have to worry. I, you know, it's there in every industry, there's those types of examples where you can cluster, you know, cluster low cost things to get a, the equivalent of a, of a, of a single big thing done. The, you know, the problem with that is that you introduce a lot more failure mechanisms. If you're, yeah. if you're going after serious applications, you introduce a lot more failure mechanisms, uh, you know, by going that way, a lot more interfaces, 
you know, a, a lot more coordination choreography has to be done. So not saying it's impossible. And I, and we do keep a sharp eye on it. Uh, but it's, it's not something that I worry about as a, as a primary concern. Mm-hmm. And in terms of technologies, you guys now have powder bed fusion. You've got the powder bed fusion for metals. Uh, you've got, uh, the jetting technology, let's say, uh, are yep. there, are there an SLA of course, uh, also the selective deposition technology for the metal that you're working on with the air force labs or the, the army yep. labs. Uh, you know, are you interested in more technologies? Cause there you can also say, you know, how is that focus? I mean, is that, is, is, yeah. is more technologies, more focus or, or how is that? Oh, yours. That's the, that is a topic that's at the front of our mind right now. You know, the, I, I've been here since the end of May and the, and the first cuts through are pretty simple. Okay. We're, we're, we're not going to do subtractive technologies. We're going to focus on additive. And then you get down into these specific technology platforms. Very interesting discussion. How far can you run, you know, with, with SLA? How far can you run, you know, what types of materials are you limited by? And, and what, what is the SLS technology, the powder bed technology bring to you? And then how do you extend it to metal? So I'm, I'm answering your question with questions, but they're, they're at the front <laughs> of our mind. I like I, each of those technology beds I, I like very much. And, but we're trying to make sure we can invest properly in the ones that we're going to really focus on. So we're really exploring, you know, which, which ones have legs to embrace the types of materials, particularly that our customers want to buy. And, and we want to turn into components in their, in their, in their business. Um, metals, I think, will continue to be very important. And I, I love our technology there, both for healthcare, you know, titanium implants, things like that, or the orthopedic area, as well as aerospace, you know, lightweight vehicle applications, I think tremendous. Um, in the, in the uh, powder bed technology, the ability eventually to go to higher temperature polymers and, and fiber reinforced polymers, very important. Um, and then you've got SLA DLP type technologies, which are very exciting because of the precision of the process. And we're, we're making those processes more efficient. So again, I kind of covered the waterfront there, uh, but we're continually looking at the core technologies and making sure we have the right ones in house. As a, as a material scientist, what uh, do you personally, are you most excited about which materials that you guys are working oh. on? It's, you know, that's a great question. I, I, I am a material scientist at heart and my, right. the biggest single reason for my coming to 3D systems is that I could combine my passion for material science with all of the other facets of leading an engineering company. I, I love that. I love coming to work every day. In terms of materials, I would tell you, um, I am really enamored with the combination of materials. Um, we, you know, Additive has explored exotic geometries for a long time. So you can make, you know, now you can make very complex shapes, very thin wall structures. You know, the bioprinting is plowing all kinds of new ground in terms of fine structure and all of that. Now, the, the one, an extension of that in material science is, is combinations of materials. So dual alloys, right. um, carbon fiber reinforced materials, um, all kinds of particulate reinforced functional materials that we're, we're learning how to apply to additive manufacturing, I think it's gonna be revolutionary. I think between the shape making capability and the material science capability, this industry is gonna do extremely well. It'll find itself alongside all of the classic ways of making components. And I think over time, as it matures, it will be a very large piece of the industrial base. No, I was just gonna say how I'm particularly interested in that as well, given, what you can do with, you know, with the heat exchange where you're talking before, where you could do like a tube where you can 
create a heat sink to stop heat leaking back by simply switching the material uh, in the process. Sure. So, or, or a directional high conductivity material to remove heat faster. I, right. I, I'm making this up on the fly, but you can do things no, like no. that. You know, for, for fast flying airplanes or missiles, you can do very high temperature alloys on the outside, thermally conductive materials to dissipate heat. You can put sensors in things. There's, there's just all kinds of selective reinforcement, other things that additive opens up the door for while you're making specific exotic geometries. It's a part of the process. So I'm really excited about that. I like the, the fact that you can create as, you know, essentially it's a specific material. If you're looking at the, the microstructure or the, uh, right. or the structure you could make and maybe alloys or maybe different gradient materials as well, you're right. essentially for that brake caliper or whatever, you're making a material. You got uh, it. Exactly right. Yours. Yeah. So I think, I think that's going to be, I don't, we don't really even understand. I mean, I think the examples you gave are good. I mean, those are the kind of things we can do. And what I always come back to is the fact that no one's focusing on internal topology optimization. You know, the inter insides of most things are smooth. And yeah, that's it. Exactly. Don't think much about what goes on, on the inside of a combustion chamber. That's and really you know, yours, that's a, it's a great point. And I, you know, and <laughs> in so many ways, as much as it's, it's always, you know, as, as you get older, you know, you always think, well, the younger generation doesn't appreciate this or that. But, you know, one thing they do appreciate, <laughs> you know, one thing that the younger generation appreciates, it, they don't live in the same paradigms that those of us that grew up in engineering education did years ago. It reminded me, you know, when I, when I left school and I'd run into older guys who were using slide rules and I was using a calculator, I always thought, gosh, these guys don't understand. We can do calculations so fast, blah, blah, blah. Now, you know, kids grow up with information at their fingertips through the internet, they, and they grew up in, in school with additive manufacturing. They grow up in a whole new design paradigm that really embraces yours, to your point, making unusual geometries to dissipate heat or to strengthen a, a, a component by looking at the inside, you know, but not the outside. In, in the past, an older engineer may not have grown up with an, an inherent, you know, thinking of that as a, as a first thought. Young people do, and it's really exciting. I, I look at who's embracing this technology. It's the vibrant customers we have out there with a generally younger design workforce. You know, yes, they may not have years and years of experience in designing airplanes or cars, but they bring in a, a much wider aperture of, of, of paradigms or a lack of paradigms, if you will, on how to design parts, and they embrace this technology so much more quickly. So it's, it's really fun, and it's... I see that reflected in our own sales team. <laughs> so I could go on and on. But anyway, I, I think it's, a, it's an amazing world that's going to pull additive forward faster than ever. About pulling additive forward, I mean, I think if you are going to take the approach that you're the systems integrator, you're the, the accelerator for additive, let's say, for corporate America or corporate globally, um, and selling them these, these three materials and machines and software, then, you know, how do you sell this at a C-level to people? That's, that's, that has been a bit of a problem uh, Oh yeah, yeah. forward. Yeah, it's and I would tell you it's got a, it's a two pronged approach. You you have to have an you know an executive level approach to senior management to say <laughs> because quite honestly, they grew up in their own world uh, you know over over the years. Most of them you know spent their career getting to that point, and so they're they're kind of older by nature a lot of them. And so you have to go in and say I've got a new way of making something and explain the value proposition in economic terms. And, and internally, you have to arm their design engineers and, and who are now getting promoted, right? They're, they're first level managers, maybe second level. You have to arm them with the, the 
technical rationale, if you will, on the on the the performance benefits and enough economics that they can talk to their management internally about the need to spend capital money on this stuff, the need to bring it in, because it is disruptive. It is a big change. So you have to work it from the top down and the bottom up at the same time, which is why we're building out somewhat of a, of a, of a direct sales team. Now, it, it won't be all encompassing, but we'll have direct sales folks that are, are very knowledgeable on both the technical front and, and enough on the economic front to arm our customers at a lower level with that information to pass up their, their management chain. So that's, that's part of our, our go-to-market approach now as well. And what does that mean for your existing channel and existing partners? Or? Well, they'll, they will, we will still heavily rely on them, especially for geographic coverage and, you know, broad-based support in, in, in a lot of parts of the world. We have a direct service team as well, but we still leverage channel partners for, for servicing and we train them. We make sure they're very capable. So we have channel partners to help us with sales and service but they, we want to give them a backbone of, of direct sales folks that they can leverage and call on and application engineers as well that can help them drive sales successfully. So we need both and we're, we're reinforcing both, if you will, because we will not have a large direct sales team, but they will be very focused on, on a few key accounts and be very knowledgeable people. We will still largely have channel partners. So you, you announced just recently that you have a, you're working on uh well you, you asked the producer already that, that you're working on a, a large uh metal printer with a, with a lot more capability it was a nine laser one meter by one meter by 600 millimeter metal printer yes uh that you guys are working on i mean that that's that's and we're seeing what we call right now we're calling it laser wars right because we, we spend a lot of time and <laughs> just everybody having one laser and it's kind of like you remember this with the with the, with the, with the, with the razor blades. Razor blades. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, there's one, right. two, three, four, five. You know, and it seems like lately, <laughs> this is why laser wars, right? Um, you know, it, it seems like this has uh, lately become a quite a trend in, in the powder bed fusion companies that, that that they're all releasing. They're going from essentially quad laser which not even most of them mastered until like a nine laser, eight to twelve laser kind of uh, setup. Right. I mean. What's driving that? And is that, that also just seems like a quite a risky thing. I mean, it seems like you're going to yeah. get a lot more complexity in the machine than, than uh, like actually like it's going to geometrically increase in complexity uh, perhaps. Yep. So it is, so given the size of the parts or the economics that we're trying to drive yours with making how many parts we can make in a chamber uh, it's mm -hmm. driving the need for multiple lasers. So um, in the in this in this massive machine that, that we've now designed and, and have demonstrated here in October, um, you require that many lasers to cover this one meter square area, if you will, uh, effectively, and and to to do it in a controlled way where you get minimal thermal distortions, and and if you if you're making smaller components, you can have higher throughput. If you're making truly a one meter by one meter object, and up to 600 millimeters in in height. Um, which would occupy the full chamber, you need those lasers in order to effectively manage the, the heat transfer to the powder. So mm -hmm. it, it, will it will reach a limit. It does introduce complexity, which again, is not a bad thing from a business standpoint, because it, it distinguishes up us from, you know, an upstart company coming into the market. So um, it's important for us. This machine is an amazing machine that can do the centering of the powder, 
and then under a controlled atmosphere, it can do the all uh, a great deal of the finishing before the part emerges from the system. So we're capable with this large machine of doing very high temperature uh, and lightweight aerospace materials from aluminum and titanium up to Inconel materials, nickel-based alloys, things like that, uh, again, for, for very exotic applications. So we're excited about it. So is that is that also like I mean if you're talking about one meter in canal parts I mean the, the the number of customers that want that kind of thing drops off very steeply you know uh, so is this being driven by like the the military community or the commercial space or who, who's driving this kind of growth and this kind of uh, huge parts for our industry Yep so the so defense is clearly an application for this the you know very very high speed structures uh, for for both aircraft and and missile componentry as well as some of the land-based uh, vehicle systems that have to withstand explosions and things like that. So, um, so I'm, I'm excited about the initial applications. It's very, it's very much a focused market. Um, it will be very much around land-based vehicles and, and flight systems that require those kind of exotic alloys. Uh, but frankly, those materials are, are of preference today. So now we're able to make them through additive with more exotic geometries and this, as we talked about before, the move to buy materials, buy alloys, or more functional componentry, uh, it, it opens up that possibility uh, of being able to do that. So I'm excited about it. It will be, you know, niche applications, but sizable markets, yours. Okay, okay. And uh, it just, yeah, just generally, I mean, where do you hope to be in like five years or, or for three to five years? Where do you hope to be with three systems? Well, I hope we're a much larger company. I believe we will remain focused in, in hardware, software, and materials. I hope that we are viewed as the leader in, in, in bringing applications to reality for customers and, you know, doing a, basically a turnkey capability to bring customers into additive manufacturing that will add value to their customer base and allow them to embrace the technology. That's what we really want to be as the key enabler of the technology in the industry. So I think if you fast forward uh, many years, there will be, you know, large companies that focus on one element of the technology and do it on more of a commodity scale. And then there will be companies like ours, and I hope we're the leader among them, that really are nimble uh, uh, application focused companies that, that, a, that a customer would turn to when they, when they want to adopt additive manufacturing, either for the first time or for a new range of applications. All right. So Jeff, thank you so much uh, for your time today. Uh, it's been really great. I think I think I really, really enjoyed it. And thank you so much for coming. Well, you're, you're awesome, Max. Thank you both for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I look forward to talking to you in the future. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. It'll be great to have you back on. Okay. And uh, thank you, Max, for being here as well. Always. Thank you, Joris, for hosting. <laughs> anytime, anytime. So this is another episode of the 3D Pod. Uh, my name is Joris Peels. I was here with uh, Dr. Jeff Graves of 3D Systems and Maxwell Vogue of 3 Doodler. And uh, my name is Joris Peels. I'm with 3dprint.com. And thanks a lot, guys, for listening. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the 3D Pod. For more information on what you just heard or to subscribe, visit www.3dprint.com or follow us at 3dprint underscore com.